If you're a larger person, then going barefoot or being in minimal shoes is horrible for you, right? Eh, maybe not the way you think, I mean, maybe not at all. We're going to find out more about that on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting feet first. You know, those things are your foundation, by the way. And we break down the propaganda, the mythology, and sometimes the flat out lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or play or do yoga or CrossFit or whatever it is. And do that enjoyably, do it efficiently do it uh, effectively. Did I say enjoyably? Trick question. I know I did. Because look, if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep it up. So do something different so you're having a good time. I'm Stephen Sashin, your host of the Movement Movement Podcast. We call it that because we are, we, and that's all of us, are creating a movement about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do without getting in the way of that with technology, quote unquote technology, that actually gets in the way of that. And you don't have to do anything special to be part of what we're doing here, but uh, you can help out by going to www join the movement movement.com you don't need to actually join anything there's no secret handshake or special code or money you have to pay nothing that's just the website where you'll find all the previous episodes all the ways you can find the podcast all the ways you can interact with us on social media where you can do things like give us a review and give us a thumbs up and give us uh, you know five stars or whatever it is. look you know how to do it if you want to be part of the tribe just subscribe so let us jump in. Um, Charlotte, do me a favor. First of all, welcome. Tell people who you are and what you do. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, thank you, Stephen, for having me on the show today. I totally appreciate your time. And uh, my name is Charlotte Young Bowens. I am the founder of Conscious Gear. It's a company that's focused on providing outdoor gear and a and um, apparel for bigger bodies. Um, I tell people how I started the business is that I had a health scare. Um, many years back, and the doctor said I had high blood pressure, high cholesterol, I was borderline diabetic, and I was morbidly obese. But and other so than that, everything's fine. Well, you know, okay. <laughs> and the doctor was nice enough to say that, you know, the next time you have a health scare, you might not wake up. And so I, I decided that I wanted to wake up. <laughs> and one of the things I did is I went to the gym. And the only thing I could do on that first day was go for two minutes at two miles per hour. But I tell people that with a little persistency and using my minimalist... <laughs> shoe um, routine 16 months later I crossed the finish line of my first 50 mile ultra marathon as a woman in a bigger body curvier taller body and so I'm here to say that you know bigger bodies are the new norm but that bigger bodies can do amazing things and that I really want people to understand like you know just tap into it that's that's all I want you to do so yeah you know, first of all, I love that. And we had a, I did an interview with um, Heather Vincent, who's a researcher in Florida, who spends okay. a lot of time researching women who are, well, not just women, women and men who are um, heavier. And yeah. it, it, her research is very interesting. I'm going to cut to the chase with this one. It's like many people think, I, I get emails all the time from people saying, hey, I weigh 300 pounds, I weigh 350 pounds, I weigh 400 pounds. Right. You know, will your shoes work for me? And mm. uh, and and it's a really entertaining question for a lot of reasons. Sometimes they're asking because they've worn shoes where the foam just compresses so quickly that it just stops working almost immediately. We don't have that issue. And sometimes they're just worried about joints and everything else. And of course, Heather's research shows that many heavier uh, people actually have better running and walking form than those who don't because, frankly, they're not able to move they have to move efficiently because they're just trying to move so much mass around and um, and which is completely contrary to the way most people would think. But once you spend a moment, it's like, oh, that makes total sense. So when you're working with someone, I mean, when, or actually in terms of providing gear or working with someone. So actually, let me start there. How are you trying to get the word out to people for whom your message and information are valuable? Is valuable. I think for me, the number one way I'm going to be doing it, you know, it's just kind of doing things like this podcast and sharing my story. I do want to share that, you know, how I kind of got into minimalist was initially I was wearing some thick soled gym shoes at the gym on the treadmill. And then one day I forgot them. And so I was like more committed <laughs> to doing the workout because I was like, if you don't keep this up, you're probably not going <laughs> to, you're probably not going to keep this up. And then I, I was on the treadmill barefoot. I just said, forget it. I ain't got my shoes. So I just a barefoot. It was like the best, one of the best walks of my life. And I learned a couple of different things. And I want people, what I want people to understand is like, yeah, your body's going to have aches and pains and things. And mine's did, but you got to understand what those aches and pains are about. Allow them, allow your body to readjust and adapt. Our bodies are so amazing at adapting. And I have found that what I love most about being a minimalist kind of barefoot runner is that my feet get to touch the earth and how 
have a relationship with the energetic energy of the earth, which is why I really feel like, you know, it's a spiritual lesson for me that I was able to do 50 mile ultra marathon in a bigger body. So yeah, yeah, it's not, you know, I want people, I kind of want to just kind of start spreading the message. Like, don't be afraid because there is this misnomer and doctors do prescribe to bigger bodies, gym shoes that are super thick. Right. And you can't, in a bigger body, you can't walk, run in those shoes because you do have a lot of mass and your your foot is constantly trying to figure out how to navigate all that cushion and the way it cushions. And, you know, our bodies are different, you know, and so you end up having a more uh, unfulfilling experience with getting back into being physically active because of your shoe. <laughs> What you probably need to do is just throw it off, take them off. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I mean, what you're highlighting is, of course, the message that all of us who are into barefoot slash minimalist talk about. But people really don't think about it until you're in the situation you're describing where when you have that extra mass and you're dealing with a cushion shoe and the cushioning is not going to be able to to really support you properly. There's more instability. There's more issue. And you're not getting the feedback to adapt to that instability. And you don't want the instability to begin with. But if you're going to have it, I mean, it's a it's a vicious cycle where you're unstable and then you can't adapt properly because you're unstable. I mean, it's, you know, what's so amazing to me is that given the statistics about overweightness, for lack of a better term, in America, I'm somewhat shocked that this isn't a much bigger conversation, frankly. Well, we live in a very anti-fat society, so that's why we're not really having these conversations. (laughs) quite a that. (laughs) So, yeah, that's that's number one. But I do think that we're starting to have this kind of body positivity, size inclusivity conversation, which I hope some of this other information will also kind of start to rise, bubble up to the top too as well. Okay, let's just cut to the end of this story. So how do we get Lizzo on board? (laughs) I think we just go to Lizzo. You know, I would imagine that she would be more than open to having this conversation and more than happy to support the elevating the conversation around it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think uh, I think this the phrase you had just go to Lizzo. Uh, that's the challenging part. So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, she just stopped returning my calls since she got famous. I mean, you know how it is. So, <laughs> so, but I'm I mean, I'm, and I'm not joking when I say that, because we are we have a bunch of celebrities who are wearing our shoes, many of whom can't promote that because they're sponsored by bigger shoe companies, um, uh, which is really annoying because there's pictures of them in our shoes, even though they're getting millions of dollars from some big company. But mm-hmm. but seriously, I can't think I mean, obviously, you know, uh, short, skinny white guy um, has less of a chance of getting through to Lizzo than you do. Just FYI. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Will do. It's, it's duly right. noted. Let me say this. Let's just look at the uh, fashion industry and the fashion foot industry, yeah. particularly as it relates around performance shoes. They are designed for skinny white boys who right. run. Right. And skinny African dudes that run. <laughs> no, you know no, what I mean? No, no. Skinnier African dudes that run. <laughs> okay, faster. And, um, <laughs> they are not designed for women, bigger bodies, differently abled folk to really, because uh, there's times when I buy a brand new shoe and I'm like, why is my ankles hurting? Yeah. A brand new shoe. You just said that it has all these features and amenities and all the things it's supposed to do to help me run faster. And the first time I wear it, my ankles are hurting. It's because yeah. you didn't design it for me in mind. You didn't have me in mind when you were designing it. And I get that now. And so I think that's the message you need to say to all these celebrities. Look, you can continue to support Nike, Adidas and all these other ones. Like, look, do you Nike, Adidas, but understand that there's another option too. Yeah. And that there's enough to go around and you shouldn't have to feel like you got to pigeonhole yourself because, you know, people are scared of a little competition. So, Yeah. That would well, be my I, advice. Well, I got to tell you, um, some of the bigger companies are scared of the competition. Um, when we were, oh my gosh, we were one twentieth of the size that we are right now. We were a tiny little company, and okay. and we were getting. Um, well, I'll say it this way: we had a bit a one and a half million dollar order it was going to be the biggest order we've ever had from a major retailer. And coincidentally, okay. the day that they were going to click submit and place the order with us, they got a call from a multi billion dollar company saying, "We don't want zero shoes in your store." Because earlier we had been in a sort of iconic local store that the big companies used sort of just to see what's happening in the market. And we asked them during a a holiday weekend and they they freaked out. And uh, it took us a couple of years to get over that and get back into actually like four years to get back into that store. Um, And we hear it now. I mean, it's 
it's a fascinating thing, but be that as may, I want to back up a giant step in the conversation. When you got on that treadmill barefoot and you said it was life-changing, obviously, but you said, um, A, it was, you know, I can't remember how you phrased how great it was, but you also talked about the aches and pains part. So uh, can you like break that down? Talk about both sides. What was the part more specifically that was so wonderful for you? And then let's talk about the aches and pains so we can address those more specifically so people know what they might have to expect or what they might be able to avoid with a little new information. I think when I first started walking on the treadmill, you know, barefoot is that I did feel some aches and pains in my knees and my ankles, but I've always been in the mindset, okay, this is a signal that something's going on in your body. Now, what I want you to do is just go for another minute. Mm. If it continues or gets worse, then we stop. But if it doesn't, then you get to keep moving. And what happened was it stopped. And so I kept moving. And so what I've always learned, too, as a woman in a bigger body who does like long distance running is that there will be more points in time when you will have aches and pains. It is, you know, of course, pay attention to them. But I tell people, give it a minute. Sometimes your body is just in the process of readapting and adjusting so that you can feel good again. But we don't never give it enough time. We hear the instant pain. We do the instant stop. And I tell people, no, just keep going. Let's see what happens three to five minutes from now. Um, and I will say about minimalist shoes, I remember something you said earlier today is like people feel like they're not going to fit. The beauty of these shoes are they're designed around a real foot. <laughs> yeah. And so whatever body you're in, I have found that I never have, I used to have so many issues with width and how it wraps around my foot with other shoes, but with minimal shoes, I'll buy my size and it's always 100%. Never have any issues. Yeah. I mean, the point that you made, I love, which is essentially, I'm going to reframe it to use the sensation you're getting as feedback, become your own coach and listen to what's going on. And the thing that's so that, that I'm going to highlight is when you do feel one of these little aches or pains and it does and you are and you approach it with a sense of curiosity what your brain is going to try to do is shift something move something a little differently to get you out of that you know you don't want to like just keep doing the same thing and pushing you want to listen and kind of let your body adapt like my story i don't know if you know it and i don't expect that you would is when i my second barefoot run had a giant blister on the ball of my left foot from my first barefoot run and which I didn't even know that I had until after I finished that run. And it was like, oh, well, that's weird. Big ball blister on the ball of my foot on my left foot. But my mm-hmm. right foot's fine. That's yeah. interesting. So my second run, I when it was still had this gaping hole in my foot. And I thought, let's take a 10-minute run. And if I can't find a way to do it where it doesn't hurt, then I'll stop. And if I can find a way to do it where it doesn't hurt, that means I'm probably not doing the thing that caused the gaping hole. And so... But what I paid attention to was my good leg. I paid attention to the right leg. Like, what's it doing correctly? And then at the nine minute and 30 second mark, my left leg got the hint and suddenly everything was infinitely, instantly better and um, never went away. And so this whole idea of listening, and this is something, you know, I wonder if this is an obstacle for people who are in bigger bodies that maybe some of them um, have made it a habit not to pay attention, to not listen to some certain feedback or signals. And then I I wonder, A, if that whole process of listening might be a bit of a challenge, but I also wonder if it might be helpful across the board once you start paying attention to your feet, what that does about the way you're paying attention to the rest of your body. I do think that when you're in a bigger body, you're struggling already with a society is constantly bombarding you with negative messages about you being in that bigger body. Yeah. So if you can, you know, I think you also kind of get into that victim mentality. So if you're going to hurt a little bit, you're going to use that as a reason for why you're not going to move anymore. And so what bigger bodies have got to do is just say, look, this is not about nobody but me, that I'm recommitted to me. I'm getting ready to get to know me. I think I really want to spread the message that our bodies are so freaking amazing. You know what I mean? You can't tell me as a bigger body woman who does ultra fucking marathons after sitting on her ass for two decades, eating processed food, smoking cigarettes, severely depressed. You can't tell me that our bodies are not, can be capable of whatever it is we want them to be capable of. And that being in a bigger one, because society would like to make you think that because you're in a bigger body, you can't do certain things. We need to just continually dispel that myth 
that um, great things can happen. But we also got to be willing to be a part of that process, listen to our bodies. Um, they take time to adjust. My body has, we have a full-on relationship. She cusses me out sometimes. And, you know, I mean, we go back and forth. But if I'm good to her, she's good to me. And I'm like, yes, we got this. <laughs> so, you know, I just want to be a, be a voice of encouragement to people like, don't give up. Like, don't give in to the hype. It's like, it's a lie. It's a big fat lie. You can do great things in the middle. You know, I mean, we both chuckled at the idea of, of sort of separating you and your body and having a relationship with her. But I think that's actually a really valuable thing to do is to play with that, whether you're running or walking or doing anything, just to play with that sort of whatever it is, second person <laughs> approach to yourself. Because if we really look carefully, that's in many ways more accurate that, you know, as an experience, like, there's this sense of me and there's this thing that does stuff. You know, sometimes I've actually spent time referring to myself with this is way before the whole pronoun issue. I started I referred to myself as it. It's like, you know, it's having a thought. It's doing this. Right. It's doing that, which is a really interesting thing to do for a couple of days. I mean, it makes people you know feel weird around you. But just to do it internally, in a way, after a little while, it feels a little more accurate to say it's having a thought, because if you notice you, quote unquote, didn't make that thought arise. It just showed up. You didn't make yourself cross your legs that way. They just did. And mm -hmm. ha and and then this this is a really good experiment for people to play around with thinking of your body or your mind or both as independent entities just to see what you learn from doing that. I think that's a really cool thing that you just pointed to. I tell people there are times when I'm doing my ultra marathons where there are miles I don't remember at all. I don't remember my feet hitting the ground. <laughs> I don't remember my body moving through, through space and time. And I, I say that it's little C. I call her little C. She must take over. I love she it. She must do the work. She must somehow say, well, this is what I need to come in because that big C, she probably couldn't do this <laughs> without me. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I do think there is... Um, no, no, I love the fact that I'm like, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, we'll see what we going to do today, girl. Like, you know, like, and let her tell me. Um, uh, I just, I think you're right. I think if people would entertain that for a minute, they might really discover something magnificent about their relationship to our bodies. And because I, I don't think we have these kind of relationships with our bodies, you know? No, well, we rarely have any kind of relationship with our body, certainly not one that's. But well, this is true. That's great. Um, and, you know, often and there's some people who don't know what's below their neck, um, which I, I'm not even necessarily saying is a bad thing. There's certain people where that's the way they should be. I mean, I had a good friend who, I, you know, went to Harvard when he was 15 and uh, he was dating a woman who, you know, was from this new age university and was a psychologist and was always complaining to him that he was just in his head. And he, of course, took that on as a bad sign. I went, dude, you're one of the smartest guys on the planet. Stay in your fucking head. That's what you're here for. You're really good at that. The body stuff, you don't do that very well. That's okay. And uh, and when he finally kind of, and ironically, when he got over that idea and kind of, I think maybe she dumped him. I don't know if he dumped her. Doesn't matter. He ended up with a woman who was, you know, equally really, really brainy and did not criticize him for being really, really brainy and it quote in his head. And they're fine. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Good time. There's um, there's a book. I, I wish I could remember what it was. Uh, it was a story about a guy who was uh, he was maybe probably dating, maybe married to something. I think just dating a woman who was convinced, again, that he was, you know, always in his head, wasn't attached to his feelings and uh, made him go to therapy. And he was in therapy like five days a week. And after a year, the therapist said, I don't see there's anything wrong with you. And he says, well, then what do you recommend I do? And the therapist says, I would go to Eastern Europe where the women don't think that knowing your feelings is really important. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and so he did. He went to somewhere in Eastern Europe, met a wonderful woman who never says, you know, what are you feeling? They've been married for like 30 years. So um, anyway, now I'm not suggesting that that you should that it's better or worse, frankly, to have no relationship with your body. I guess where I'm going is it's an interesting thing to experiment with and see what you discover and see what works. Absolutely. for you. So I, I want to I got to back up to another piece. So you went from being on a treadmill for a few minutes and then we skipped all the way to 50 mile ultra. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing there was some stuff in the middle. So in between. Um, so I went back to my shoes on the treadmill and discovered I was having pains again. <laughs> and then something dawned on me after a while. Remember that day when you didn't bring your shoes in? 
And I just kind of went back to that. And then I started saying, okay, let's go outdoors. And I started with gym shoes because you're really socially conditioned to put those gym shoes on. I mean, it's just the messaging that you're always getting all the time. And so, and also you probably, people think if you're a black, bigger body woman, they probably think you're homeless. (laughs) So, you know, you're thinking about how the world's going to contextualize you being a bare feet. So, you know, you got all that stuff. But as I went into the trails, (laughs) <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. Again, as a, as a you know medium skinny white guy, um, I can assure you that, uh, it doesn't make a difference whether you're a big black woman or a skinny white guy. If you're in bare feet, they think you're homeless. Okay, okay. <laughs> hippie, or, hippie or homeless, depending on your hair. Right. Um, so then I started doing trail running. And um, it's so funny, my experience with trail running. I used to always carry my shoes. And for the first mile or two, I would wear them, right? Because, again, I'm just like, I don't want people to think I'm weird. Um, And then I would take them off. And then I would do the rest of the run. And then right as I'm getting at the end again, I put the shoes back on again. It's kind of be normal again. Yeah, because it was like, people are going to think I'm weird. I remember for many months, I really, really worried about people thinking I was weird. Well, And and then at some point in time. Go ahead. No, at some point in time, because I was going to head in that direction. Keep going. But then over time, I was just like, I just started to say, fuck it. Like, I, you know, if the park ranger is going to arrest me for being barefoot, then I'll cross that bridge when I get there. No, I'm I'm sorry for interrupting, but you're heading exactly where I imagined, um, which is I want people to realize that if you are going to spend time barefoot and I'm not saying that you have to, but it is terribly fun. The story that I love to tell is I'm usually barefoot. But if I do wear shoes, they're mismatched colors. And I'm in the I'm in the pharmacy line at Costco um, a couple of months ago, and there's a guy behind me, and he says, "Hey, your shoes don't match." And the pharmacist, without looking up or missing a beat, says, "He's wearing shoes." So, um, but the, the point I want to make is, you probably ne- I don't know anyone who has really gotten to the point of being oblivious or really um, how do I want to put this, not being self conscious about being mm. barefoot in public, but you get to the point of either being a little, um, what's the word, not adversarial, but a little, you know, having a little bit of, yeah, I'm barefoot, you know, just a little bit of an attitude in your mind or that kind of, you know, screw it. I don't really care what people think. And yeah. so, you know, you'll, you'll have that self-conscious moment and then just go, no, I'm enjoying this. I like this. I don't care. I mean, I'm probably never going to see these people again. They don't know who I am. Well, they do know who I'm around here, but, um, but more importantly, you know, this is an, I think this is an important thing because some people who want to try even trying minimalist footwear, let alone going barefoot, will be a little self-conscious and think that that's a problem. And I'm going to suggest that it's just a feature, not a bug. And the opportunity is to roll with that and be the kind of person who bucks the system because you're getting benefits, you're enjoying it. And you know, if you want to be proselytizing and tell everyone why, that's fine too. But but I think, you know, there's so many times where we fight with our internal experience. And this is what we were talking about around pain. And this is another opportunity to welcome that and question that and be curious and investigate and see what happens. I mean, because I definitely go in phases where I there's certain stores where I reliably get hassled and then allowed to be barefoot. You know, they'll mm-hmm. stop me and then I'll explain what's going on and they'll go, eh, whatever, but next time. And then I go in barefoot the next time as well. But sometimes I'm just not in the mood to deal with it. And I put on a pair of shoes and that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. So, okay. So you started going outside. You started doing trails. Again, we still got a way to go before we get to a 50 miler. And so then I thought to myself, having grown up in a very Christian household, Jesus was barefoot. So. Oh, come on, Jesus wore sandals. You've seen the pictures. Well, the Jesus sandals or barefoot. I mean, I, I just feel like barefoot, I feel like barefoot is Jesus sandals. But anyways, and I went to YouTube, and that's when I found you. And I was like, oh, so there are crazy people like me out there, and it really does. Like this is real. Like I'm not making this up. I'm not some freak of nature. It was so comforting. It was like, okay. Oh, my God. I just remember how liberating it was. I was like, I'm not a freak of nature. Thank you. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like you I'm many things, but I'm not that. <laughs> no, that's a really good one, too, because the people who are doing this, especially the barefoot people, um, there is that, you know, finding that you're not alone or you're not the only one is really helpful. But it's also from another perspective, human beings like to be part of groups. They don't like to be outside Absolutely. of a group. Yeah. And so. 
when people, when we talk about the whole idea about natural movement, I keep saying there's going to be a certain point where we hit critical mass, where there's enough awareness, there's enough people doing this, that even the doubters are not going to see them, not, we're not going to be the out group, we're going to be a growing in group, and then people are going to want to try it. They're going to go, okay, I'm familiar enough, let's give it a whirl. And then the experience is so profound, then they become part of the in group, and then we become the in group. I mean, that's Absolutely. the way these things have to happen. And that's all we're trying to make happen. So, Okay, so you got over the weird part. You were still not, so, we're still not. So I, so I Googled, I found you. I'm not a freak. Uh, I bought some of your shoes. And then I went to a training run. It was like the second to the last training run for the 50 miler. And several people were like, oh, you're a minimalist. <laughs> like, so they, they affirmed me. Like, you know, they didn't make it seem weird. They yeah. felt like, oh, you're one of the, I mean, you're one of those, but it wasn't a bad one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, they're like, how is it? What is your, like, they were really curious too. And then that let me know, oh, I'm going to do this. And some people are going to know about it and some people won't, but I don't care anymore. And I just became committed. I can't stress enough just how good it has felt for my feet to be close to the ground. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. It's spiritual. It's energetic. It's I, I just can't. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Yeah. A friend of mine says, uh, especially on trails, walking in our shoes, because it's instant meditation. Yeah, I do think it's that, too, for sure. Well, and not in a, you know, basically in a way that is just bringing your attention to something on a regular basis. It sort of focuses your attention. It's not that you're not thinking. It's not that you're, you know, in la la land. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it just does this thing with focus that is simultaneously aware of what's happening in your feet, because that's what your brain is wired for, but also really aware of the environment at the same time. So there's a simultaneous inside-outside awareness, which is unusual for most people to experience. I do think I'm in my moments more. Yeah. I do experience, like, I love feeling the way my foot will wrap around, you know, rocks and mm -hmm. uh, leaves and quirks in the trail and technical stuff and because i remember when i wore shoes you know i was worried about my ankles <laughs> right but then i as a minimalist it was like it's just a natural way my body would adapt adjust and keep me moving and be all right you know i, you know, I didn't fall or i didn't get injured i tell people that i think knock on wood i've been injury free because of my lifestyle uh, uh, and I'm a big girl, so if anybody should be getting injuries, it should be me. The only serious, for lack of a better term, serious injury I've had since I got out of you know big, thick, padded motion control shoes was a couple of months ago, and it had nothing to do with my footwear or anything. It was I have a compromised spine, so my, uh, my L5S1 are way out of whack. Um, the bones are practically touching each other, et cetera, and I was just doing a warm-up drill and just sort of twisted as I landed on one foot and it nailed my sciatic and it, you know, my sciatic just sort of lit up my right leg and went, and we're done. And that took just a while to unwind because I've just got this, you know, major problem. But the joke is that I've had doctors for 15 years tell me I can't run because of my back. And here I am, you know, one of the fastest mm. 60 year olds in the country. Right, so right. the fact that I had that, you know, one weird little thing that had nothing to do with barefoot or shoes, it just had to do with my physiology. Um, that's it. I mean, other than that, you know, maybe a tiny little tweak where I took a day off. I mean, that's uh, it, there was a guy I was in a panel discussion years ago and uh, this guy says very accusatorily, you barefoot people say that if somebody gets an injury, it's just because they have bad form. I went, yeah. <laughs> wow. You nailed it. <laughs> so, well, here's a weird question that popped into my head. Okay. Um, when you're out running, whether you're mm -hmm. doing a race or, you know, just bumping into people in the gym or on the road or whatever. Okay. I'm guessing that there are some people, if you end up talking to them and they mm -hmm. see you running, they will say something about how you're inspiring Am I incorrect? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. And how do you respond to that? <laughs> how it usually goes is that people are like, oh, my God, um, I've been thinking about that. And 
you know, tell me about your experience. And then, you know, I share a little bit about my experience. And then they're like, I don't know if I could do that. And I tell people, first of all, I can't hear that. <laughs> I'm a bigger bodied, I am a bigger bodied woman who does this and does this well. And, and my body has adapted and you're significantly smaller than me. So you, I don't know. I can't hear that. I just can't. Cause like, there's no way that you can, you can say you can't. Right. I can say I can't and the world will accept that. But from you, no. And so I think in many ways, I kind of challenge them to rethink how they think about it. And I always tell people, you know, I do this for anything. I said, start small, like walk to the mailbox and back a couple times. Yeah. Walk to the corner and back, you know, like I tell people I started at two minutes at two miles per hour. So you can't tell me you can't. <laughs> So, you know, I I hope I inspire them to try. And people generally do. They'll come back to me. Yeah, I got my first pair and it's been good. And I'm like, good, good, good for you. Well, because the whole idea, when someone says you're an inspiration, on the one hand, it, I mean, it's a bit of a compliment, but it's also, it, it does create that separation. It does create that thing where it's also, I mean, it's also a weird sort of insult. And then it's like, oh, I'm only inspiring because you would think that someone like me can't do the thing you just saw me do. Yeah, I think I don't internalize it that way. Um, okay, that's although just my, my more fat activist friends would. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, why it, do they feel like they need to respond to you that way, Charlotte? You know, you know, blah blah blah. I don't like. Well, I mean, the whole, I the whole it, that way. Well, the whole inspiration thing is just a, such a weird concept for me in general. It's like if I'm really an inspiration, then that mm -hmm. should make you inspired to go do something, not just say something where, you know, again, how, how whatever you're thinking, uh, that's not the important part. It's like, are you doing something by seeing this? Are you is this really motivating you? I hate that word, too. Is this literally inspiring you, which is about right, right. getting that in breath inspiration mm -hmm. to then do that out breath, going out and doing something that. I mean, that's an inspiration. And I wonder, you know, how many people, what's been your, your experience from people seeing you and then making that change and going, screw it, I, I'm going to do this too. Well, I always think about it as a journey, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I use the parallel being queer because I'm a queer person as well. And coming out is a process. And I think coming into minimalist is a process and that we all have our own journeys. We're all going to do it our own way. People are going to extract whatever inspiration they want to from me and throw the rest out. And I just want, I honor the fact that I just want to be able to give you an, another option to say yeah. there might be another way. And that if you instinctually in your mind innately felt like, mm, maybe this is speaking to me, I want you to know that yeah, that's a real voice. <laughs> well, I've and, got um, I, I just want to honor their journey as it is. Like, I don't feel like I need to inspire anybody. I just feel like mm. I'm just a conduit for what you already knew, really. Perfect. That That's brilliant. I love that. And FYI, um, when I uh, was with my now late father and was going barefoot in places where he, a very socially conscious person, was not uh, happy, he would have been much happier if I told him I was gay. <laughs> I figure right that might be true for most people. <laughs> I think that's I think that's still true to this day. That people might be more happy that I'm queer than I am a minimalist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, in, I remember in, in college I was dating a woman who my dad did not approve of, and he kept asking, you know, are you seeing anyone? I kept saying, yeah, I'm still seeing Jenny, and he's like, uh, that's not what I meant. And finally, one day he says, are you seeing anyone? I said, you know, I actually met someone new. He goes, oh really? I said, yeah, and I think you're really going to like him. <laughs> And he says, he's, that's not even funny. I said, I'm not kidding. And of course I wasn't, but you know, I had to keep driving the snake in his heart. So, um, uh, there was, there was, a, that was my relationship with my dad is always undercutting his things. Like he used to say, well, um, I want, this is an amazing thing that he used to say, which was, so I was raised technically Jewish, let's say he said, well, I want my grandson to be bar mitzvahed. And I said, that's assuming that A, I get married, B, we have children, C, it's a boy, C, he's, you know, D, he's raised Jewish, he lives to be 13, he gets a bar mitzvah, and you live to see any of this old man, and that would be right. Like, so that was, wow. I, I, he, he, he had a very particular way things had to be, and I was never those things. Um, so this is, you know, this was yet another in that equation. And I will say, sadly, 
Um, the only thing he really understood was business things, money related things. And so sadly, he died about seven years ago and didn't get to see what Zero Shoes has become. It would have made him very happy. Uh-huh. I, I don't have a thing about pride. It would He would have just been happy, which would have been nice. Like when we were on Shark Tank, um, he invited all of his socially conscious friends over with my mom to watch the show. And they were all impressed. And that gave him social cred. I don't have this thing about being proud. Um, but for him, it was a big deal that we were on the show and I'm glad that the show and us, you know, gave him that. But anyway, that's a giant tangent. So, um, I had another question. Um, so when you're out on doing a 50 talk, well, there's another thing that I imagine people are thinking, and I don't know if you've encountered this or not. Do people think that you're out doing these things in order to become a different bodied person, to become thinner, to lose weight? Like that's your real motivation. And if so, how do you deal with that? I do know that being in a bigger body, people think, oh, she's out here to lose weight. What's also interesting is that even though I'm bigger bodied, I do find that, (laughs) honestly, white men are intimidated by me and they have this need to pass me by (laughs) super fast, (laughs) like as if they've passed the fastest black person on the planet, which. I'm probably the slowest one. But anyways, and how I deal with that is, oh, yeah, this is what happens. People will be like, well, how long have you been doing this? And I'm like, oh, this is like my maybe sixth or seventh. And they're like, well, isn't it, you know, you're trying to lose weight? And I was like, I'm just trying to be healthy. And I said, I allow little C, which is my body, to decide what size I'm going to be. You know, I take care of her. She takes care of me. Um, I tell people that the truth about me is that when I go under 200, my performance plummets. Oh, when that's I stay around two, When I stay around 200 pounds, I'm like faster as light. If I go over that, I plummet. So my body has re-regulated itself to say that this is a sweet spot for you as it relates to being able to be physically active and optimal performance. And so, you know, people do struggle with that. I'm like, I just do what my body says is the yeah. right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I said, you have to understand too, like the statistics are out. Nearly 70% of U.S. adults are overweight or obese. That means that bigger bodies are the new norm. Will you guys please stop asking <laughs> me these stupid questions? Um, so true. Um, people, that's so funny. People act like it's still an outlier when it's not. And I imagine, yes. and I imagine there are people who come up to you who are overweight who still have that same thought. Absolutely. God, that's yeah. So cool. That's the part that hurts. I'm like, babe, that body right there is amazing. Just you got to tap into it. And I tell people like, look, I was in my 40s when I started. What? Never athletic. I tell people I spent over 20 years sitting on my fat ass, sedentary lifestyle, smoking cigarettes, eating processed foods, depressed. Who would have ever imagined? Who would have ever wanted to envision this moment now? Yeah. With me being in this bigger body and doing these amazing things. No one, not even me. Well, there's another part to your story that I find very interesting, which is that it was your doctor, you know, your doctor set gave you this prognosis and that started to change things. But I'm willing to bet that you got a similar prognosis at some time in the past. And this could be wrong, but my, I mean, well, let me say it differently. I'm always intrigued when someone has one of those moments of like, oh, no, now things are different. Now I'm going to do something different. And my question is always, you know, why that day and not the day before mm-hmm. or the day after? Was there something, I mean, and I don't know that there's an answer to this one, but since you had one of those like, ah, moments, you know, mm-hmm. was there something, if you look back, was there a time before where it just didn't, that thought just didn't make it to the surface? Or, you know, how do you think about that moment in retrospect? I think for me, I was a single mom and I was too busy raising my kids. By Mm. that point in time, they were grown. So you're working class trying to put food on the table for your three kids. You, I don't care how many times you go to the doctor, you're not listening to anything. Right. You got other things that are way more important and your health is the last one on the list, okay? So I just never listened. I remember saying, they say, oh, you got high blood pressure. Oh, you got high. I, I remember those moments. I vaguely remember. Yeah. <laughs> I think when you're younger, information comes in a different way because you're like, I'm young and I'm invisible. <laughs> when you get into your 40s yeah. and your kids are grown, I think information comes in differently. And I think for me, I would say my depression really was, was the 
piece, it had gotten so bad. I mean, I was in suicide ideation and everything. And I was like, and so when I went, when I had the health scare and the doctor's like, you can die. All of a sudden I had to say to myself, well, well, do you really want to die? Mm. You know, you're thinking about this any, you think about this every day anyways, do you really want to die? Like, here's your opportunity, you know? Here you are in this moment, like he's saying, if you continue to do what you do, you could actually kill yourself. Do you really want to die? And I think it just woke me the fuck up. I just said, no, I don't want to die. Yeah. And no, I don't know how to fucking live, but I don't want to die. Um, and just timing is just the moment. I, you know, I tell people like life is like this experience and then there will be these little bitty cracks that you cannot predict. And then all of a sudden there's breakthrough. Yeah. But you couldn't have predicted that moment. I, I tell people, I can't even tell you like with the trails. I remember there's a point in time I was on the trails one day and I was like saying to myself, God, I'm not suicidal or depressed hardly anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, I didn't, um, it wasn't like I wasn't trying to, but there's something that happens when you're out moving your body on a regular basis. I believe the biochemistry is definitely changing. The blood is circulating Absolutely. in such a way that your body is responding and saying, yes, let's live. Let's do this. And then you're like, yeah, this this is pretty good. I like this. <laughs> you know, and um, you're like, how did I get here? And I tell people there is no single moment. It was accumulation of a lot of little bitty tiny moments that got me to where I was at. And so... And I really, I tell people my blessing around my experience is this. When I went to the gym that first day, I fell off the treadmill two times. Then this guy came over who worked there and said, look, ma'am, can I help you? And I thought he was trying to flirt with me. So I was a little mad, had a little attitude. <laughs> but then I was like, yeah, you can help me. And so what he did is I'm going to do, he said, I'm going to turn this machine on two times because we're going to figure out some things about where you are in terms of your level of fitness. So I'm going to turn the machine on. I want you to, I'm going to keep speeding up. And when it gets too fast, let me know. And then I'm going to turn it off. So he does that. The second time he's like, I'm going to go at this speed that I think is just comfortable for you and not too fast. But I want you to go for as long as you can go. And then I'm going to stop the machine. Just let me know. So I tell him, okay, I go, I go. And I'm like, stop, stop, stop. And then he said, look, good job. Tomorrow when I want you to, he said, I want you to get off the treadmill. Come back tomorrow and do the same thing. What you're going to do is you're going to go for two minutes at two miles per hour. This is how you set the machine to make that happen. And he said, but what I want you to know is that in time, you will go faster and you will go longer. What he did was he seeded in my soul something, right? Yeah. He did, We didn't know on that first day that I would do a 50-mile marathon, 100-mile marathon years later. But in that moment, he just honored me for where I was at. He said, good job. Come back and do it tomorrow. But no, you'll go faster. No, you'll go longer. And I tell people that was the miracle of the moment a, of my I've got life. Goosebumps. B, I'm on the verge of crying because, I mean, that is like yeah. that's one of the sweetest things I've heard in quite a long time. And I mean, everything about that, both just coming over and being caring and yes. the intervention that he made was perfect, not just for you, for everybody. That's exactly the way to approach it. Like do it, you know, do a little bit. If it hurts, stop, come back and try again until it feels good. Do a little bit at this speed. If it feels too much, stop, slow down, come back and just know that it will get better. And there's one other part I add, which is there's going to be in the the learning, especially in the learning to move differently. There's going to be some moments where it feels frust, quote, frustrating, which is actually your brain laying down new neural pathways ways. And so frustrating is is a sign of growth because you'll notice that you'll take a couple of days off, you'll come back and you'll do the same thing and it won't feel as frustrating. And so then you have to remember, oh, I learned something while I was resting. That's a critical thing to know. It's like these little bouts of what I'm doing, that's the intervention to tell my brain, let's change something. Then the change happens when you're resting. So, you know, add in put all those three things together. That's all you need to know to start Absolutely. wherever you are and get wherever you want to go. There were always moments when like I couldn't get from three to six miles, six to nine miles, nine to 15 miles, yeah. 15 to 25. You know what I mean? But like you said, I would have these difficulties going on. And then if I, when I just stopped and just rest, next thing I knew, I would go out, like say I couldn't get, I could never get a nine mile. Nine mile was my struggle. Then I would go out and do that nine mile and it was as if I had been doing nine mile my all my life. 
You know what I mean? Or running 20 miles. I remember 20 miles then was my next new sweet spot. And it was just (laughs) when you rest and dial in and pay attention to your body, I just I'm here to say it will reward you. I promise you. I'm so here to say I promise you it really will. And that your body will respond no matter what your age is and what your physical size is. There was I was at a um, a lecture from a well-known ultramarathoner and someone said to him, I've run a 50 mile race. I want to run 100. What do I need to do to train for that? And the guy says, nothing. You've already done all the training. It has nothing to do with your training at this point. That was a gift for me, too. One of the things that happened early on in my um, running was this woman said to me, well, if you could do a 5K, you could do a 10K. If you could do a 2K, you could do a half marathon. If you could do a half marathon, you could do a marathon. And then right before I did my first marathon, I learned about ultra marathons. So I took that philosophy and said, well, damn, if I could do a marathon, you mean to say I could do an ultra marathon? And there I was on the path. I love it. So what's next for you, Charlotte? (sighs) So (laughs) now try to build this business, which is really taken away from me being outside as much as I would want to be. Which I has has got to change because for me wait, being outdoors wait, wait. Hold, is what hold that hold that thought. I've wanted to do a um, a video. It's a you know a guy in a suit and tie walking through a typical office space saying, "Do you love fluorescent lights, Excel spreadsheets, and sitting on your butt all day? If so, you're a perfect candidate for a job in the outdoor industry." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So. You know, now I'm just like, I'm going to do a crowdfunding campaign next year to raise some money so I can hire a team and they can take care of stuff so I can get back outdoors more. And really, 2023 for me is about spreading spreading the message that bigger bodies are the new norm and that your bigger body can do anything that you want it to do. I love it. Well, I'm hoping... Well, A, I'm hoping we can help you, and I know that we can. Well, there's some things we'll talk about offline, because basically, you know, we – and look, I want to add another piece to the mix here. You know, you're talking about people getting outdoors, and this is a big – Oh, boy. For lack of a better term, let's say conversation in the outdoor industry yeah. about lack of diversity, which is their their coy way of saying not enough black people out. And I, I'm curious about your thoughts about that. I mean, one thing I was actually I was hanging out with these guys. They were they did a, uh, a trip up Everest. It was an all black trip up Everest. And I'm hanging out with yeah. all of them. And I said, you know, after this whole thing about inclusion and diversity came out, when all the magazines had black people on the cover and all the ads were black people, did you feel like that was helpful or just pandering? They went, pandering. (laughs) That's the way it seemed to me, too. But I'm curious what your perspective is about the outdoor industry or people, just people getting out in general and the black Mm -hmm. community. Man, um, so one of the things that happened last year is I was part of REI's Embark program, which was for our minority outdoor founders. Yeah. Um, and so we were constantly having this conversation. And I think what I, this is what I feel like, particularly as it relates to black people, that we have some healing to do in this country. And some of our most traumatic moments have happened outdoors. Mm. You think about a black man being hanging from a tree. That is not something that allows a community to want to go outside and partake in outdoor recreation activities. So right? <laughs> no, part of our underground railroad system is that we, you know, we ran for freedom through the woods, you know what I mean? Yeah. But scared for our lives. So there's some healing as a community that we got to do around the outdoors. But I feel like that's our work to do. But also I need for white folks in the outdoors, you know, to just be open to the fact that you're going to see diverse people in these yeah. spaces. <laughs> you know, I always have this all the time. You know, I'm running barefoot. I'm a big black woman. People think something's wrong. <laughs> and the park rangers, every time people come up to them and tell them, oh, there's some black lady, she's lost. They laugh because they're like, this woman is out here every day. <laughs> like, she's an ultra marathoner. So what are you talking about? And then they try to, you know, quiet them down. But, you know, I think we all have to do some healing around just kind of being comfortable with one another in the outdoor spaces. I think it's going to take time. I think there's some specific healing that has to happen for those those of us are African-American to have a history, Mm -hmm. enslaved ancestor history in this country. And it'd be great if we would do something to kind of uh, like they did in South Africa, like, I don't know. Yeah. uh, Reconciliation or something. Uh, (laughs) Maybe black people. But. I think we're just, um, I mean, the verdict is still out. I have found as now a new outdoor industry, you know, founder that 
the industry has a lot of systemic racism in it. And I was super surprised. It absolutely does. Well, look, you know, athletics in general uh, does. I mean, this I, is I was true. Thinking- it, it is interesting to me that so many of our most revered athletes are black athletes, and yet that's not an inspiration that I mean, that in, in certain ways seems to perpetuate this kind of divisive thinking um, in a way that's very peculiar, frankly. I mean, I, and it is. I, I think some of it is just having the conversation so that people can understand what the experience is what the, I hate to say it this way, what the experience of being, let's say, you know, a black person in the outdoors or a black person in certain circumstances can be like, because humans, um, as a rule, we tend to think that whatever we're experiencing is what other people experience. Um, that's kind of where we're wired. And unless we can really understand someone else's experience in some way, it's always a little, you know, out of reach. I'll, I'll never forget um, talking to uh, one of my friends slash sprinting coaches, a guy named James Davis, who's a former world champion, 400, four by 400 meter runner. James is a very interesting guy. James is a very dark skinned black guy whose resting face is I'm going to kill you. And his smiling face is male model. This guy is gorgeous. And, um, and he's married to a white woman. Um, and he, and we're, I said, what's the most difficult thing about, you know, being a black athlete or being black in Colorado where there's just not a big, mm. and he says, my biggest fear in life I'm one of the fastest men in the world. My biggest fear in life is that my wife will leave her handbag in a store. I will find it, pick it up and run to give it back to her. Mm. And he says, you know, I'm perpetually aware that I can't move quickly around certain kinds of people. And that hit me so viscerally to have to have that kind of self monitoring awareness and to have to limit who you are in that way. I mean, again, that just makes me want to cry, but it really woke up some idea in my mind that just didn't exist before. Or, I mean, the joke really I had two black friends in, in Boulder and I um, and my joke about Boulder. Well, I have a few. One is it's a very diverse area. There's every different kind of white person. Uh, there's rich white people, really rich white people and super rich white people. Um, but the other is, you know, there's more actual Africans than African-Americans, which is I don't know if it's actually true, but there is a big African community here. Oh, yeah. But but I had two friends who um, black guys who had dreads. They were nothing alike in any other way. One was celibate. The other had slept with every woman in Boulder and maybe not every woman, but, you know, a lot of them. And one day the celibate one is walking downtown in Pearl Street and a woman walks up and slaps him. And his response was, it's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> the wrong one. <laughs> and then, so I said, I said to him one day, so what's the most difficult thing about being black and bald? He goes, oh, I have to drive to South Denver to get a haircut. And like little things like that, you know, just wake you up to an idea that you just never had in your brain that just explains these little things explain so much. And I, yeah. I think, you know, because we all feel different in some way. But yeah. until we understand how each how we each feel different, it's all, all just a little ephemeral. It just doesn't feel real. And then you do. And, and then you become aware of your prejudices. You become aware of when you're prejudging someone. You become aware of, you know, all those things. It, it's anyway, I'm, I don't I'm not, to be honest, not massively optimistic um, for, you know, humanity. Um, hum, individual humans, I'm okay. Uh, as a group, I'm not so optimistic. Um, but But I hope that conversations like this are helpful. I mean, my God, look, 1980, I was one of the like three white break dancers in New York. I mean, all my friends were black and, and, and I go back to DC or New York and I get on the subway. And it's like, Oh my God, black women. I haven't seen one of those in a long time. And it's just comforting. <laughs> and it, you know, it's like these conversations I hope are, are valuable. I hope they're important. Mm-hmm. And the simplest thing is, I, mean, I have a joke. One of our black employees, we get into whenever there's some thing that happens, some racial thing that happens, we you know end up talking about it for a few minutes. And then our, our last line is always, and we just change the world. And away we go. You know, and it's it's half joking, but I think it's also not entirely untrue. Just by having an honest conversation, I think that goes a long way. And I think also by extending grace and to understand that we're probably all more like the different. Absolutely. Um, it's like really <laughs> like we're probably like it's so amazing when people when I talk to people and they're like, Oh my god, we have so much in common. I'm like, Yeah. Well, you know, believe look, that. 
if we could just get if we could just get a handful of Republican Congress people to admit they're gay, we're going to go pretty far. So <laughs> if we could just get Lindsey Graham to finally come out of the closet, if we <laughs> you know, there's a gay Republican organization that I've oh been aware of for over 30 years. So I always thought that Republicans knew they were gay. <laughs> Anyways, um, I don't know. Well, suffice it to say, if there's a, I mean, look, um, if, if you're a Republican, uh, these are just jokes. Take it that, that way. But, you know, there's some comedians who joke about that. It's like if you hear a Republican you're trying to do anything that's against gay people or black people, he's mm-hmm. gay and dating a black guy. So, you know, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> that's usually the coming out part. Process, yes. That's what it looks like. <laughs> That's my theory. Whenever you have so much resistance against something, right. it's probably because it's your story, yeah, and you're afraid to share it with the world. So yeah, that's I, come I on think- out. I think that that was pretty much a given. You know, I think the I think uh, thou dost protest too much uh, is pretty pretty much covers it. If you hear someone really that adamant about something that they have no personal relationship with, they got a personal relationship with it. Absolutely. Yeah, you wouldn't invest that much time and energy. So, no. no. Anyway, um, Charlotte, if people want to find out more about what you're doing, and more importantly, be part of what you're doing, help what you're doing, um, how can they do that? They can come to my website at conscious-gear.com, and um, I'm on Instagram, Conscious Gear One. I'm also on Facebook, Conscious Gear, uh, Twitter, TikTok. LinkedIn. I'm all conscious gear. Just put it in. Um, I'm now on the algorithm, so it knows exactly where to find me. And I do hope people, you know, I feel like it takes a village to raise a business. And and so I started the quarter book campaign to say that I want 40,000 villagers to um, invest $25 in the conscious gear because you, you think bigger bodies matter in the outdoors and because you want to support a business for the long haul because entrepreneurship can be a lonely road. So, yeah, um, check out the website. It'll have all the updates, information, events, all the stuff that's going on. Um, I'm excited about spreading the word. I feel like this is a calling, and um, I'm excited for the change that's going to result from our efforts, really. And I thank you for bringing me here. Oh, no, no. Oh, my God. I'm so glad that we got to connect. I mean, this is just an absolute treat. And whatever we can do to be helpful, please let me know again when we get offline. I have some ideas that um, I'll share with you. And uh, and I hope people do go check out what you're doing and support what you're doing, um, because this this. Given how divisive everything has become in the last few years, you know, this is an opportunity where we can start making a little headway. In that, yeah. uh, to, to reconciling that, and um, you know, and those little things, like you said before, it's those little things that add up, and then one day you're looking back, going, "Oh my God, I can't believe I used to do that thing or think that thing that I just realized I haven't had that thought or done that thing in ages." And right. that's the way it happens. We never, we're never aware of the process until we get a certain distance down the path and look back and go, "Holy crap, I can't believe how far I've come." And that's yeah. what we're, you know, trying to do. I want to leave you guys with one little saying from my mama. (laughs) And she, from every time I, from the time I was a little kid, she said, those are the only two feet that you got. So make it your business to take care of your feet and understand that they are your foundation and they are the thing that will carry you throughout your entire life. I love your mama. Um, That is, (laughs) see, because mine was always Mary, nice Jewish girl. And that was a whole different story. And 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 happily, my parents got smart. And when I introduced them to Lena and I said, are you OK with Lena being your daughter-in-law, even though she's not Jewish? They said, we just see that as you guys have been together, you've gotten happier in your press relationships. You started out happy and got less happy. And that's all we care about is your happiness. And I pointed at them and said, all right, what'd you do with my real parents? So... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, your mother was absolutely correct. And 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 this whole idea of taking care of your feet, because those are your foundation that will take care of you. Um, that is the message. And mm-hmm. happily, parents are getting that about their kids. And I'm waiting for them to realize that it's true for them, too. Yeah. And because I think a lot of parents think, well, it's too late for me, but let's just, you know, get my kids right. It's never too late. And you said that before, too. And and it's true. You know, we have we get emails from people who are in. I'll tell you my favorite email. <laughs> I love it whenever we say and we're done and then we keep going. Um, years ago, there was a, I wrote a blog post 
some guys had done some research where they made these magic vibrating insoles and it helped people who had, I think it might have been Parkinson's, have better mobility. And I said, okay. you don't need magic vibrating insoles. Just take off your damn shoes and go for a walk outside. I got an email from a guy. He was in his 80s who said, I was looking for the magic vibrating insoles and I couldn't find them, but I found your blog post. So I decided to put it to the test and that was two weeks ago and I just threw away my walker. And mm. You know, it's never too late to discover that you can have your feet support you for as long as you're out, up and about. And, um, you know, you can build strength in your 90s if you start doing weightlifting exercises. So or even just some push ups and sit ups and squats, et cetera. Uh, anyway, um, I think everything we're talking about is there's always a little thing you can do to make that little change. And someday we'll all look back and we'll see it was a huge change. So, Charlotte. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Again, this has been. Thank you. Oh, my God. This has been you have really filled me up. I'm so. (laughs) Well, that's that's so much joy. Well, and anything we can do on the entrepreneur side, because I'm lucky enough that I've been on this road with my wife, which is the most satisfying thing that I've ever experienced. That's awesome. But, uh, know that, you know, if you have any entrepreneurial issues and questions or are feeling alone, give us a shout. Um, we're happy to happy to be part of that journey. And for everybody Thank else, uh, everyone else, just a reminder, go back to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find the previous episodes, all the ways you can interact with us. If you have any requests or suggestions or comments or criticisms, people who you think should be on the show, including, you know, if you know someone who thinks that I have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, um, I'm happy to talk to them, see what happens. That would be a fun one. I've been trying. Every time I find someone who thinks I'm completely full of it, I go, hey, do you want to have this conversation in real time? They go, oh, no. I go, oh, I'm scared. Um, but if you, you know, whatever you can think of, you can drop me an email. I'm at move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. And most importantly, between now and whatever is next, go out, have fun, and live yes. life first.